following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us again this morning online. Uh, my message, uh, my title for this this uh, Sunday is "When <laughs> When Will It End?" and I. Uh, that has meaning at many levels, and certainly I'm hoping this all ends soon. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 24, uh, what is called uh, by some the Olivet Discourse. It's the last really teaching, uh, full-length teaching by Jesus in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and it centers around uh, the end, the end times, when Jesus will return. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he said to them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then... The end will come. And now this is, of course, just the beginning. Uh, it continues on, and this is really, uh, for Jesus, the introductory section. Um, uh, and, and the disciples ask the question, uh, when will it end? And it's really a relevant question for us today, because we all are asking that question, when will this pandemic thing end, right? When will my current problems end? When will the economic hardship that's being brought end? When will the isolation and the inability to travel, when will it end? Um, And these are good questions. And I'm sure all of us are more than done with all of this. Anybody? Anybody here? Yeah, Anybody hoping this continues on? No, we're done with this, right? When will it end? Uh, And and, uh, for the Jews living in Israel in Jesus' day, uh, this was the big question they had as well, not because of a pandemic, but because they were under this oppressive Roman rule. And they were dealing with this Roman government that 
uh, was not giving them freedom or independence, and, uh, and it had continued for a lot more than a year. It had been going on for decades, actually, actually a couple hundred years. And so they also were saying, when, when is this going to end? And, of course, the Jews really saw that the end would happen when the Messiah came, and in their thinking, the Messiah would uh, overthrow Rome and establish Israel as an independent nation, and that would bring an end to this oppression. And, and so uh, the, the disciples asked this question, really, when, when will it end? And they're still probably thinking in, in these terms that, uh, that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and uh, bring an end to Roman rule, and, and, and they wanted it to end. But it's really good to back up just a little bit. And these last couple chapters leading up to this, we have bounced around a little bit because of Easter and some interruptions. Uh, But it's really good to see, uh, real quickly, the last couple chapters leading up to this question, because they all climax in the first couple verses of chapter 24. So so here's the background. Remember way back, uh, a couple chapters back, Jesus comes in and he uh, cleanses the temple. He chases out the money changers and uh, those uh, selling uh, animals in the temple, and he cleans it out, right? And at the same time, he curses the fig tree, which dies. And these are both uh, kind of dramatic signs or symbols pointing to the end of the temple and the old covenant era. And then Jesus, uh, after that, the, the leaders confront Jesus in the courtyard of the temple, really challenging Jesus' authority to do these things. Uh, Jesus has acted as if uh, the place belonged to him, um, which it did, but they didn't understand that. That as the Messiah, he had the right to do these things. And so they question his authority, and Jesus gets into a a debate, uh, rather lengthy, about two chapters, as as he talks and discusses with the religious leaders both his authority uh, and his right to do this. And he does that first by engaging them with a series of parables, showing their own rebellious hearts and that they are actually hypocrites and they are not leading uh, as people who are seeking God, but they're leading quite apart from God's purpose and God's plan. And then Jesus, uh, well, then the leaders uh, try to trap Jesus in some very hard questions that they are sure Jesus cannot answer. But Jesus shows his, his, his wisdom and uh, really his superiority in answering every question. And then, of course, Jesus throws out his own question about the nature of who the Messiah is. Uh, And at the end of that section, uh, in the end of chapter 23, most of chapter 23, Jesus then declares seven woes on the Pharisees and the scribes. And basically, he condemns them for their lack of faith, their lack of understanding, and their lack of uh, acknowledging him as the Messiah. And he points and calls them out, really, as false teachers who are leading the nation astray into ultimate destruction. And then he ends with this uh, lament over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Right? You, you rejected the loving Messiah that was sent to you. See, as a result, Jesus says, see, your house is left to you desolate or abandoned. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And with that declaration, what Jesus is saying is, um, 
God's very presence is, is about to be removed from the temple. And it harkens back to the visions of Ezekiel where the glory of God departs from the temple. And then in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and went away. And Matthew uses a double, he says it twice, Jesus left and went, right? He didn't need to say it twice, but he's emphasizing that this is the very climax, this is the very fulfillment of what Jesus just said would happen. That Jesus is the, the, the incarnate, glorious Son of God, and when Jesus walked out of the temple for the last time, the very glory of the God of Israel uh, went with him, and God was uh, deserting and abandoning his house, and he was leaving it empty. And, uh, and not only the, the house, but it really is a prediction. This whole section uh, is, is a prophecy of God really withdrawing his favor on the nation of Israel as a whole. Now, of course, many Jewish people would come to Christ, uh, but no longer would, would they come through the channel of Judaism. They would come now through the work of Christ, the new covenant. And, and God was changing things, and, and the very temple was done, right? So it's important to get that, that backdrop because all that's transpired, and this all happened probably in one setting in the temple as Jesus is having this confrontation all in one day, and the disciples are witness to all this, right? These conflicts, these debates back and forth with the religious leaders, um, all this stuff going on. And, and Jesus leaves, this dramatic leaving and going over to the Mount of Olives, which sat right across the Kidron Valley from, from the temple and from Jerusalem, where he was looking down on the temple, also had a lot of prophetic images. And, and, and as they're going out, the disciples have the nerve to ask this question, right? Or not really ask a question, but to make a, a point. And they said, Jesus, look at all these cool buildings of the temple, right? So in other words, the last two chapters just went all by them, right? They, they just missed the whole point of the thing. And they're still going, wow, the temple is so amazing, and like Jesus, are you impressed with these cool buildings? And clearly they didn't hear or understand anything that Jesus just said. That his glory just, just departed. The glory, very glory of God just departed from the temple. And its destruction is coming. Right? So, so Jesus, um, uh, Jesus says to them, uh, point blank in verse 2, You see all these, do you not? Truly. I tell you, there will not be one stone left upon another. It will be completely torn down. Right? Jesus is not impressed by these buildings. And he says to them, uh, the destruction of these things is coming soon. Right? The temple is going to be destroyed. Point blank. Right? Um, so, they, they walk across the valley a short distance uh, to the Mount of Olives where Jesus is looking down. Uh, with the disciples on Jerusalem. And it says they come to him in private. Uh, clearly, his first name was public because later on, uh, these words come back at Jesus' trial where they accuse him of, of uh, speaking against the temple. But uh, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is with a much smaller group of just his disciples. And there they come in private and ask him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. Um, now, uh, they want to know when the temple is going to be destroyed, and they probably see this all as one event. Right? So they're not asking, and you know, with our New Testament theology and how we've worked this all out, we kind of know that the temple did not mean the very end of the world. But for them, 
The destruction of the temple was such a big thing and such a really unthinkable idea that the only way they could imagine this happening is that it would happen uh, ushering in the very final kingdom, the end of the age. And they saw really the, the coming of Jesus and setting up his kingdom and the destruction of the temple as one glorious event. Um, uh, and, and they're probably not look like when we think of this word, uh, Jesus, when are you coming? We, of course, jump to the idea that, well, Jesus died, he rose again, he's in heaven, and his coming is speaking of his second coming. But it's, un, it's doubtful that the disciples would have had all that worked out because they hadn't even yet accepted the fact that Jesus was going to die, uh, even though he had told them repeatedly, much less that he was going to be resurrected. Right? So they're probably imagining not so much when Jesus comes back after, the death, after death, as much as, Jesus, when are you going to finally reveal yourself? When are you going to come in all the power and glory and really set up your kingdom? Right? And what's going to be the sign that, that shows us it's the time? Right? Because they're starting to, they are starting to figure out that now is apparently not the time. So they want to know when this is all going to happen. Uh, now, of course, for us, we already know the answer. We know that the temple was destroyed, uh, leveled completely in 70 A.D. after the Jewish rebellion against, uh, against Rome. And so Jesus did, uh, God did allow and bring about the destruction of the temple and fulfilled this very prophecy in 70 A.D. But we also know that Jesus did not come back at the same time, right? We know Jesus died, he rose again, we know he went to heaven, we know the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and we know some almost 2,000 years we're still here, right? And if Jesus has come back, we missed it, right? And actually, uh, the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, speaks to that, that no, you didn't miss it, right? The fact is, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So, and, and, and Jesus is going to answer the question. He's going to explain uh, the timetable some. And he's going to, uh, in his answer, in this sermon, he's going to indicate that these are actually two separate events and that they are separated by quite a, a length of time. Right? That these are not going to happen all at once. So, uh, even though we know some of the answer, we know part of the answer, we know some of when some things will end, we know when the temple ended, um, we don't know when the end of the age will come. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. And so what Jesus has to say for us here is extremely relevant for the time we live in right now. And the truth is that, that maybe uh, at a time like this when we're all dealing with COVID and the pandemic and, and such chaos in the world, um, maybe we can sympathize more with the disciples who wanted it all to end. Right? We can maybe feel a little more appreciation for their desire to just see it end. Right? And, and we want to just see it end. When will it all end? When will better days come? And so these, uh, and the things that Jesus teach here are, are super relevant for us. And it's relevant uh, because of the times we live in. Uh, and, and Jesus is going to say, look, um, it, it's, it's not so much when the end will come, what you need to do is, is be thinking about how you live in the meantime. Right? Don't worry so much about when the end comes, it will come. And he does give some prophecies about events that will lead up to it. But he says, look, that's not the point. The point is, how do you live now in the meantime? Because it's going to be a period. And for his disciples, it was a very long time. 
Uh, for us, some of us have been living a long time. It's been a long wait. And we don't know. It may still be a year. It may be five years. It may still be a hundred years or a thousand before Jesus returns. We don't know. So the real question is, how do we prepare? How do we wait? How do we live in this season when we're wanting the end to come? And how do we live well during this time when we want it all to end? Uh, so let's look at Jesus' sermon. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. Uh, we'll get more into some of the um, details of, of, of Jesus' um, prophecies about the end times in the next section. But this one really focuses more on just kind of the preliminaries, right? So the first thing that Jesus says is he says to them, uh, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And in verse 11, he says, And many false prophets will arise and will lead many astray. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to beware of following the wrong voices. And as we're in this period of waiting, this period of of anticipating the end, uh, there's a great temptation that we could be led astray by following the wrong voices. And Jesus talks about two groups. One is uh, these false messiahs uh, that, that would rise up. And this was especially relevant in the, in the period leading up to the destruction of the temple. Honestly, in our world and in our day, I don't know of a lot of people claiming to be the, the Messiah of, of Israel. Uh, it's not, not common. But in, in, in the time of the disciples, that was very relevant. And there were many who came along saying, look, we're the, we're the, we're the Messiah. Follow me. I think a more serious threat for us is, is the, the false prophets or false teachers. And certainly in every age, there have been many who have proclaimed false gospels. And the point of all these, whether it's a false messiah or a false prophet, is they are, they're claiming to be a rescuer. And they are saying, follow me and I will rescue you. I will save you. I will solve the problems. I will bring about the end. Right? I will make it happen. And it's a great temptation. And many uh, throughout history have been led astray by these false voices. And, and today we have a lot of people, uh, whether it's political leaders or political agendas or social movements, promising to overthrow the existing powers, to overthrow the establishment, and to bring about uh, some version of peace, some version of rescuing the world and saving, uh, saving society. Um, there are self-help gurus who tell us how to be our own savior. Uh, they claim uh, that they have the power to, to help us solve our problems and fix the world. Uh, and Jesus says, beware. Right? Beware of these false voices, these false prophets, these false teachers. Um, there's only one Savior alone, and that is Jesus. But Jesus also warns them to beware of false expectations about when the end will come. He says in verse 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Key words, like if you have your Bible and pencil and you like to underline, underline those words. The end is not yet. Right? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 6, the end is not yet. Right? The end is not yet. Many in Jesus' day 
We're convinced that, that the, end, the end would be marked by great signs. And certainly the Old Testament, Daniel and Ezekiel and other books pointed to that, that there would be some signs pointing to the end of time, the end of the ages. Uh, so they were uh, aware of that. So every time there was a war or an earthquake or some natural disaster or catastrophe, the talk was, oh, the end is coming, right? And even into our day, uh, this still happens, Right? Uh, it never fails if there's a, a, a tsunami that wipes out a bunch of people or there's a global pandemic like COVID-19. You hear voices saying, see, this is a sign. It's the end of the world. It's coming. You better get ready. But Jesus says clearly, this is not the end. Right? These things do not point to or indicate that it's the end of the world. They are false signs. And the danger was that these false teachers and false prophets would use these things to lead people astray. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't have these false expectations about the end coming uh, on March 31st or on uh, you know, next year at Christmas, right? And, and people have had those kind of predictions all through history. Uh, he says, these are just the signs of the beginning, not the end. The birth pangs. I had to watch my poor wife, Denise, go through this uh, several times when she was pregnant with our children. And she would start having birth pains uh, months before, like, she actually had the child, right? And it's not fun. And, uh, but it, it makes you think, oh, is it time yet? Like, with the first child, it's, it's kind of stressful because you think, oh, maybe this is it, right? By the fourth child, you're like, eh, <laughs> it's just those birth, you know, just those... This is, not, this is not it, right? You, ch- you learn to chill and relax. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you know, there's going to be disasters. There's going to be wars. There's going to be coups. There's going to be trouble. Relax, right? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the end, right? And he's going to talk later about how we know the end is coming. But these disasters are not the sign, right? Um, uh, so, so, so Jesus says, you've you got to be careful, beware of being misled, of being deceived, of being tricked, because you're not understanding the signs. And then he gives uh, three warnings. And these are kind of mixed, and I'm pulling these out, just it makes it easier to talk about it. Uh, but Jesus gives three warnings uh, that, that are implied in these verses for us. And the first warning is, warning is simply this, don't be led astray, Right? There's great risk and danger for us of being drawn away by false teachers and false ideas. Right? This, is a, this is a threat for us. And so as those who are followers of Christ, we have to be diligent of guarding ourselves that we don't get enticed by these messages and messengers that would draw us away. Verse 10, he says, And then, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Right? Many will be led astray. So it's super important that we are on our guard. We need to know how to distinguish and see truth from lies and falsehood. Right? And, and here's, a, here's a serious warning for every single one of us, myself included. Uh, do not let pride lull you or draw you into a belief that you are beyond being deceived or being led astray. Right? The truth is, just because you are a Christian leader, just because you have some piece of paper that says you graduated from some Bible college or seminary, just because you think you know the Bible inside out and backwards, 
does not make you bulletproof. Right? The truth is we can all we all have the potential of being led astray, right? If we are not careful. And if you don't believe it, I just encourage you to go on the, online and search some of the recent catastrophic stories of significant Christian leaders who have uh, not just fallen into sin, but turned their back on Christ and on their faith, right? who have rejected the gospel, people who used to proclaim Christ and used to stand up and proclaim that they were uh, Christians who held to Scripture after years and sometimes decades of ministry have fallen away. And have said, no, I don't believe it anymore. I think it's wrong and it's false. Right? And if it can happen to them, man, it can happen to us if we are not careful. Right? If we don't guard ourselves and guard our faith. And we'll talk in a little bit how, how we do that. But, but beware. Right? Do not be led astray by uh, falling into these, these voices, these false teachings. And oftentimes these false teachings revolve around uh, doubts that we, we, we have, right? Like, if God is a loving God, how could he send uh, sinners to an eternal judgment in hell? Right? Many people have been led astray by not holding on to Scripture with that answer, but letting false teachers uh, delude their faith. Second warning, uh, don't lose faith. Like some, some fall away, some abandon faith completely, but some just see their faith eroded. Their faith weakened, right? Their confidence in God and his sovereign plan gets shaken, and we start having more doubts, right? And we don't give up on our faith. We don't, we don't stop believing in Jesus, but we stop having the confidence to conquer, the confidence to move forward and believe uh, fully in what Jesus is going to do and what God is going to do. And our faith can get shaken by these troubles and difficulties. And, and, and we, can, we know this, right? When things get hard, uh, when things don't go well, when we meet with uh, disasters and things that just turn us inside out, uh, it's easy to start feeling discouraged. It's easy to start asking, God, what are you doing? Is God really in control? Does God really love me? Is God really going to take care of me? And, and Satan wants to use those doubts to see... To, to, these things to sow in us seeds of doubt. And that doubt begins to erode faith. Right? And maybe we don't turn away from Christ completely, but we become ineffective. Right? We no longer become bold witnesses for Christ, but we become ineffective in our, in our witness and in our lives because we're not sure if God loves us and if he's going to really take care of us. The third warning, do not let love grow cold. Uh, verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And uh, th- this, it'd be great to just do a whole sermon on this one verse. I mean, this, this is some profound truth in this verse, right? Lawlessness will be increased, and love will grow cold. And kind of the principle that, the profound principle that's here is that lawlessness leads to the annihilation of love. Right? Now think about that. Again, we don't have time to unpack all that. But, but just think about that. When you turn away from a moral code, you turn away from uh, being ruled by laws that govern us according to some moral principle, the result is that love vanishes. Right? Love cannot thrive in an environment 
that is lawless. Um, and, and so the more a society turns away from this moral code, the more it turns away from the observance of, of accepted laws to govern the social order, the less love and concern people will have for each other. Uh, and, and man, do we see this happening in our world today, right? Uh, lawlessness is definitely on the rise. And I don't know that it's, it's uh, like, like it's taken over completely yet. I don't want to be like this prophet of doom and gloom. I think there are still lots of people who, who hold to a moral code, even though they may not be Christians. But we see this trend, this move towards lawlessness. Uh, let's get rid of the police, right? Let's get rid of moral codes. Let's get rid of laws on things like uh, drugs, like marijuana. Like, like who needs it? Like we should all just have freedom, right? And more and more societies are moving towards this lawlessness, and, and, and the result of that, do we see people loving each other more? Do we see greater peace and unity among, among societies? No, we're seeing it unfold right before our eyes. People hate each other more and more, right? Love grows cold. And people don't have that natural kind of human love for each other that holds societies together. And societies are being ripped in two as people just hate each other, Right? Um, if people disagree with you, they are now your enemies, and your, it is your right to hate them. Right? Lawlessness does not breed love and care for one another. Uh, and, and, and the truth is, it's impacting society as a whole. We see it all around us. This is having a huge impact on, on social societies and on, on social order in many countries around the world. But it can also impact Christians. Right, if we buy into this message, uh, if we think, um, and we start getting caught up in this chatter on social media, and we start uh, engaging in this rhetoric, uh, we too will find that our love grows cold. And, and, and Jesus says, don't let your love grow cold. Right? And we, we maintain love, we, we cultivate love by a deep commitment to a holy life where we follow God's righteous rules. Right? And I'm not talking about a legalism uh, where we check off the boxes, but I'm talking about the law that Jesus has been teaching about, the law of love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? When we live by that law, that law is the law of love. And it kindles a fire of care and concern for, uh, for my neighbor, for those who are close to me, even for my enemy. And certainly it's how we show our love to God. All right, so we've got these, these three warnings, right? So there's a lot of trouble. Jesus gives some warnings. And um, uh, lastly, I think his, uh, his, his message to us is uh, we need to be prepared for trouble. Like, um, in fact, in, in these verses, Jesus just unpacks a lot of bad news, right? So like if you're a pessimist, you're going to be like, Man, Jesus is such a downer. Like, why is he so negative? Like, this is just really a lot of bad news. And we'll unpack some more of it in a minute. I haven't even read it all yet, right? And it can feel like, Jesus, um, this, is, this, is, this is so bad. And the optimist is saying, surely it's really not going to be that bad, right? Surely Jesus is exaggerating. And, and of course, the pessimist will answer, see, I told you so. <laughs> I told you it's going to be bad, right? You should have listened to me. Um, so, so, so why is Jesus giving us all this bad news? 
Doesn't he know it could, ha- it could cause us to have a bad day? Right? Doesn't he know this is kind of discouraging to hear about these wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and people hating each other and love growing cold? Like, that's not happy, that's not happy preaching. <laughs> right? And, and let's, let's, let's go to some other, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 and talk about the love chapter. Right? Like, this is bad news. So, so why? Well, the reason is that Jesus wants us to be prepared for the bad things when they come, right? He wants us to be ready for trouble and prepared for it when it, when it hits us. Um, and, and the truth is that the first half of the sermon, the real focus is on the destruction of the temple. So Jesus answers the disciples' questions in order. And the first one is, when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus is going to give that. And this is kind of the lead up to that. And so the focus is really on the first 70 years A.D. between Jesus and, and the destruction of the temple. And the truth is that much of what he talks about did happen for Israel and Jerusalem. And it was a bad time. And Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard um, because they weren't ready for these devastating things that were about to happen in Jerusalem and in Israel. But really, these warnings can ha- apply to any era of history, right? Uh, uh, and and, and um, the reality is that preaching a prosperity gospel uh, very poorly equips people for dealing with the real world as it's going to unfold for us, right? The prosperity gospel says God wants the very best for you and God wants to bless you. And God's promised, if you just have enough faith, everything's going to be good and rosy for you. Like, there's not going to be trials. There's not going to be hardships because God's going to rescue you from every problem and solve everything. And your life is going to be full of wealth and prosperity and blessing. And, and uh, I wish that were true. And I think for many of us, that, that is true. Like, oftentimes we live with amazing blessing and prosperity. But, but that's not God's absolute promise. God blesses us, yes. But God, Jesus also warns us here that you better be prepared for trouble. Like trouble will come. You need to be prepared for disasters. Right? Verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. And there will be global pandemics and COVIDs. And there will be economic uh, crisis and difficulties. Right? That's the world you need to be prepared for. And God has never promised that he's going to rescue you from those things. Uh, There will be military coups, as we're seeing in Burma. And there will be hostile, violent takeovers of governments. And people will come and they will do things that are horrible. And Jesus says, you need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for those kind of terrible things that, that will happen. And not only for natural disasters and wars, but you need to be prepared for persecution. And this has been a theme through the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Right? Uh, Jesus says, as my disciples... You're going to be persecuted, and you are going to be uh, hated for your faith, right? That's the cost of following Jesus. 
And Jesus has been very clear all the way back at the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? If you want to be part of the kingdom, we need to be prepared for persecution. Um, Jesus sent his disciples out as sheep, as lambs among wolves. And, and he does the same thing for us today. Right? There will be uh, persecution. There will be hatred. Uh, you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And the reality is that maybe we're not persecuted. Maybe uh, we live in a time where, uh, in, in, here in Thailand anyway, uh, people aren't being killed for their faith. But people are being hated for their faith, right? And, and even in the West, uh, we have laws that protect us from being killed for our faith. But there's no laws that protect us from being hated for our faith. And, and there's a growing trend, a growing move against the church and against Christians that, that people who are lost hate us, right? Uh, many uh, from other religions or from other belief systems hate uh, Christians. Uh, and the reason is because the world, uh, well, there's two reasons. One reason is because sometimes the church and Christians just do foolish things, right? Sometimes we bring hatred on ourselves because of, we're not following the clear teachings of Scripture. We're not loving people as God called. And so uh, sometimes we bring on ourselves that hatred because we're just foolish. But beyond that, the world uh, hates us also because it just misunderstands and misinterprets what we do. And that we can't prevent. Right? We can prevent our stupidity by, and our foolishness. But, but there are some things that are, uh, cannot be prevented uh, so, for example, when we don't join in their lawlessness, right? when we hold a certain moral values, uh, the world sees our moral convictions as prejudice and hate. Right? Uh, when we say, no, the Bible says clearly that uh, homosexuality is a sin. And while, while people may struggle with it and we, we want to support those who do, those who walk in that lifestyle, it's, the Bible says it's sin. Right? We're upholding a moral code, a moral value that's clearly taught through all of Scripture. Uh, but when we do that, the world says, see, you hate people, you are prejudiced, you are hateful. Right? Because they misunderstand what we are saying. Or because we believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We believe in this exclusive message that the only way you can be saved is by putting your faith in Christ alone. Uh, and if you don't, uh, it, it leads to a judgment and eternity in hell. And the world sees that as being intolerant and being judgmental and unloving. Right? And the temptation is, many are tempted right, to alter the message. Many false teachers coming along saying, well, that's not really what the Bible says. And they tempt us to move away from those things so the world won't hate us. But they, that's not the answer. The answer is to remember Jesus' words. Look, if you're doing this right, the world will hate you. And if the world doesn't hate you, maybe you're not really following the clear teaching of Scripture. Maybe you're not upholding the true gospel. And, and, and probably the most painful thing of all is, is those who have left the faith. Like there's nothing being like being hated by those who used to be followers of Christ and have turned their back on Christ, right? And verse 10 says, Many will fall away from the truth, from the gospel, and they will betray one another and hate one another, right? 
So some of our worst enemies are going to be those who have abandoned the faith, have turned their back on Christ. Uh, those are all pretty hard words, right? So, so how actually do we do that? How do we prepare for these disasters? How do we prepare for persecution? How do we prepare for this hatred? Well, Jesus gives the answer in verse 13. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? The one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the, the real challenge in these verses for us, is how do we endure until the end gets here? Uh, and I think uh, the idea is that we need to focus on finishing. Okay? Enduring is having a clear focus on getting to the finish line, getting to the end. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we only think about the finish line. Right? It doesn't mean that we only think about the end of the ages, that we only think about when Jesus comes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we focus on how to get there. Like we focus how to live our lives day by day, taking one step at a time to make sure we get to the finish line. Back when I was younger and much healthier and my joints all worked, I used to like running marathons. Well, I, maybe I didn't like running marathons, but I, I inflicted that on myself somehow. And uh, uh, the way a marathon usually works is it's a super long race. And uh, for me, uh, the first 20 miles would always go great. And it was pretty easy. And it's like, ah, this is, this is nothing. But then there came this point around mile 20 when, uh, like, everything falls apart. And all of a sudden, like, I feel like I'm going to die, right? And you think, oh, man, I have six more miles to go. And every step is painful. Uh, and, and everything in your body just screams out, you idiot, stop. Like, <laughs> just stop. Like, enough already. Just quit. Nobody's going to care, right? Uh, just stop. But endurance is, is, is focusing on uh, not all the steps that I need to get to the end, because that's just overwhelming. Like, if I start thinking about the six miles, like, I'm just going to think about quitting, Right? But endurance is this. Endurance is deciding to take the very next step and just worry about the next step and not quit. And so you take one step. And then you say, okay, I, I took that step. Okay, you can quit now. No, no, no. I'm going to take one more. And I'm going to take one more and one more. And you just repeat over and over. What do I need to do to just keep taking that next step? And the amazing thing is when you, when you have that perspective, when you have this patient persistence to just keep just keep taking the next step. Right? You don't focus on all 10,000 steps to go. You just focus on the next step. Amazingly, you get to the finish line. And finally, it's, it's over. And, and, and the end comes. Right? And that's really what endurance is. It means uh, being diligent to just keep taking that next step. Like just t- dealing with today and just doing what I need to do today to uh, get through today and not give up. I keep my faith in Christ and my focus on him uh, so that I know if I keep doing this uh, day after day, the end, I'll get to the end, right? I will, I will complete the race, right? So how do we do that? How do we, how do we stay focused and how do we endure to the end, right? Well, part of it is just taking that, uh, that each day one by one and, and not worrying about... Um, the next 10 years, but just saying, God, what do I need to do today to be faithful to you? Uh, in order to do, do that, we need to day by day stay anchored to the gospel. Right? Remember, one of the great threats was false teachers, false ideas, false 
uh, ways of salvation and of solving problems, right? And the way we combat that, the way we endure is day by day to stay anchored to the gospel, right? The gospel is the core teaching, like we talked about last week, the core teaching of Scripture, the core message of the Bible. And if you stay rooted in the gospel, you will be able to defend all the false teachings that come along, right? um, It's kind of like ships, you know, ships when when they park, they need to be anchored, and if they don't, ocean currents and the waves will push them and drift them. And it seems like, well, you know, the ocean's a big place, but, uh, but there's risk of it drifting into a sandbar or shallow water or into another ship or into some other problem. So if they don't want to drift into dangers, they need to be solidly anchored, right? They need something that will keep them from drifting, from being pushed away. And, and that's what we need. And that anchor is, is the truth of the gospel, And that truth is simply this. We are sinners, and we want lawlessness, right? There's a part of us that wants to throw off God's rule over our life. Now, not all people want uh, a life without a moral code, but for many, they they want to be in control of that law. They want to be a law unto themselves. We don't want God telling us what to do. And that is rebellion against God. And our insurrection against the king is ultimately rejection of him. When we rebel against him, we are rejecting him as God and Lord over our life. And that act is worthy of eternal judgment. But God uh, loved us, right? And even though we rejected him, even though we rebelled against him, he sent his son. Uh, He did, it says in Romans, he did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us as a sacrifice for our sin to purchase our redemption, to bring about reconciliation or making a peace between us and God uh, so that through the blood of Jesus we could enter into an intimate, personal relationship with the God who made us. That is the gospel. And if we live daily in that sphere, right, it will protect us from every kind of false idea. Right? It will protect us from everything that could lead us astray, especially as we press into intimate communion and fellowship with God through the truth that the gospel proclaims. Um, next, okay, so, so stay, stay anchored to the gospel. Next, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, right? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says this, Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, all of you who are worn out from the race, all of you who just want to quit, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Right? Powerful words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Endurance does not mean, like, like when you run a marathon, kind of endurance means slugging it out on your own. Uh, it's just you and your, your poor sore legs, right? Uh, but that's not how it is enduring as, uh, as God's children. We endure carried along by the very power and sustaining life of Christ. Right? We, we're not to do it in our own willpower and in our own strength. We are to come to Jesus and be empowered by him. Right? So when it gets hard, when you feel like giving up, when you feel like, I can't do this anymore, right? we need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I've got to do this in your strength. Please, Give me that rest of soul. 
right? Give me your power and your strength to endure. Thirdly, plug into the body of Christ. Okay, we're not to do this alone. We need Jesus' help. We're also not supposed to do it alone, meaning it's just me and Jesus, right? We are also to be part of the body of Christ. And God has given us this wonderful family and community that right now can't meet together in person, but we still can be the body, right? Um, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, uh, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that. How to stir up, how to encourage it, how to stimulate each other to be loving more and to be doing the good thing. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more when, as you see the day drawing near, in other words, as you see the end, as you see that end drawing near, it's even more important to be encouraging one another. Right? We're not supposed to do this alone. We need the body of Christ. And you know, we can't meet right now in person, and it's hard to do this with social distancing, but we can still meet, right? just in smaller groups, maybe one-on-one. We can not neglect coming together to encourage each other and stimulate each other to love and good works. Lastly, uh, we endure by focusing on the mission. Focusing on the mission. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, this could all seem super discouraging and hopeless if we focus only on the bad news, right? If we only focus on how hard it is. But, uh, but we endure by focusing not on the difficulties, but by focusing on the glorious mission of God bringing his salvation and his redemption to the world. Right? God has a burden to save lost souls all over the world. Um, and, and, and there will be trouble, there will be hardship, there will be persecution and hatred. But the amazing thing is that through all of this, the gospel will be proclaimed, right? It is, it is actually in the, in the midst of this mess. It's in the midst of coronavirus. It's in the midst of hardships. It's in the midst of our suffering that Christian, Christians shine with the light of Christ because of our hope and confidence in him, right? As we follow Christ, as we trust him, it gives us a different kind of disposition, a different kind of face, a different kind of life that is a testimony to the world around us. And through this, people ought to be asking us, why doesn't COVID bother you? Why doesn't difficulties bother you? Why is it you seem to be so calm? Right? And that's our opportunity. It opens the door for us to share where our hope is. First Peter 3.15 says it this way, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Right? A reason for the hope. Why are you so hopeful? Because I know the God who holds history. And I know how it ends. And, and I know that God is going to take care of me to the very end. Um, Give, give a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Good words. Um, right? Uh, we are to be witnesses, right? And not, 
uh, just where we live, but all over the world. He says this gospel will be pro- proclaimed all over the world. And I just want to, us to be encouraged as those who are out in, 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 in the ends of the earth trying to bring Christ, bring the gospel to proclaim him. Be encouraged. Stay focused on the mission because it's so important. Right? What you're doing matters. Lost people are hearing the gospel, and it is a witness to the nations. Right? So keep it up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Endure. And then the end will come. Then the end will come. Uh, this is often understood, and it's often taught to mean that Jesus can't return until we do our job. Um, I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying here. In fact, uh, it's important to understand that all the things that Jesus talks about is really leading up to the destruction of the temple, including this phrase, uh, the gospel will be proclaimed in all the world, and then the end will come. The end that Jesus is talking here is likely the end of the temple, because that's the first question he's answering, right? So you say, well, how did all the gospel get proclaimed in all the world uh, before 70 A.D.? Well, it all depends on how you understand the word all the world. And in Greek, that word, the Greek word, actually means the Roman Empire. Right? It can mean the Roman Empire. It can mean all the world, but it can also mean just the, the local civilization as it's been identified. Right? So Jesus is really saying here, look, the gospel will be proclaimed in all of the Mediterranean region, and then the temple will be destroyed. And that has actually happened. Right? Um, that doesn't mean that we're not called, and in Matthew 28, Jesus will call us to make disciples of the nations. It doesn't mean we don't have a mission to be taking the gospel to the ends of the world. But what it does mean is this. Jesus could come at any time. And I know that there are unenreached, unengaged people groups out there who have never heard the gospel. And, and uh, Jesus is not saying, oh, I can't come back yet because some language group hasn't heard yet, right? Um, the truth is Jesus could come back any time, right? His, his return is possible any time. We need to be ready. Um, but the point is this. Um, God will fulfill all his plans and purpose for the world, whatever they are. The gospel will be proclaimed to every people and language group according to God's purpose and plan in his time. But when God is ready... The end will come, right? He's not waiting for us. He's not dependent on us. Uh, he will work out his plan, and he has it worked out and timed perfectly. Uh, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be in 100 years. The question is not when he is coming back, but are we prepared to deal with all the problems that will come along until the end, right? Are we enduring are we holding on to the truth of Christ and his gospel? Are we persistent in our faith? Right? And are we being the witnesses to the gospel that, that he calls us to be? Witnessing the truth of Christ to the nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, um, that you didn't uh, lie to us about the future you didn't paint this picture of the future that, that sounded great and make promises about how easy things would be if we followed you. Instead, you were very careful to speak the truth and to warn us that it could be hard. It could be very hard. 
because you loved us and because you wanted us to be prepared and ready. You wanted us to be well equipped uh, when we are persecuted and when disasters come and when people hate us. Uh, Lord, thank you for that, um, that, that straight talk from your heart. Um, and Lord, at the same time, you didn't tell us those things to freak us out or make us panic, but to help us uh, dig down even deeper into our faith, to, to, to be more solidly anchored to your word and to your truth, uh, to be more uh, in fellowship and communion with you and with the body of Christ. Um, Lord, forgive us where sometimes we're, we're so proud thinking we're beyond being fooled or deceived. Forgive us where we neglect the meeting together and, and depending on the body. Forgive us where we're not really stirring others up and encouraging others to, to stand firm in their faith. And help us, Lord, to, to do these things. Lord, help us to be intentional about how we live life no matter how hard it is, knowing that we are on a mission to bring Christ and the gospel of the kingdom to every corner of the globe as you call us and as you lead us. And Lord, we do pray that your name would be exalted uh, and that the gospel would be a witness to every nation and every tribe and tongue, that you might be glorified, that your name would be praised and worshipped in every corner of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.